Please join me by turning to Mark 1. Mark chapter 1, we're studying verses 9 through 11 this morning. And our message is titled, Defining Moments. If you walk along a river, river bank long enough, you will eventually come across an area that looks like though it once held water, it is now dry. As you walk the river, you usually find these, these areas at bends in the river, corners in the river where the water has carved a new path. Now, seeing this change in the river used to really confuse me as a young man as I spent hours and hours fishing the banks of the Illinois River each summer. And one summer in particular, I remember after having learned the pattern and the direction of the river so well that I could have described it in detail, only to find upon returning to that same river in the area, the exact same area of that river the next summer, it was entirely different. Something had changed the river's trajectory. Well, likewise, friends, you and I have moments that have changed the trajectory of our lives as well, don't we? We have defining moments that change the course of our lives. Well, this morning, Mark is going to tell us about a defining moment that changed the trajectory of Jesus' life. A moment that would set him on a trajectory that would culminate in his death on the cross. The moment which we are studying this morning is the moment that Mark point to, points to and says, this moment was his first step in the direction of the cross. So as we use our imagination and we stand on the bank's of the River Jordan and the hot Galilean sun observing Jesus' baptism, this defining moment in his life, I think we should consider this question. Have my defining moments set me on a trajectory of serving the Lord? If Jesus' defining moments had him on a trajectory of living for me, how much more should mine have me on a trajectory of living for him? For instance, we walk through this text. Some of these moments could be when you came to faith in Jesus. It could be moments, the moment in which you were baptized. When you went under the water and came back up. Maybe a moment when you asked the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do for the rest of my life? And through a series of events, he he made it known to you, a particular career path. Maybe it was a moment that you, you met your spouse. A moment you, you met the person that you would spend the rest of your life with. Maybe it was the moment you found a local church that you could involve yourself in, that could hold you accountable, that could walk alongside you and point you to the faithfulness of God and the cross of Christ. All of these moments... Each of these moments, whatever moments come to your mind, these are defining moments. And as we see in this text, my heart is that we would have such moments in our life that have us on a trajectory of serving the Lord, living for the Lord. So if you would now please join me by turning your attention 
to what is undoubtedly the best part of this morning's message. That is the reading of God's holy, infallible, authoritative, and inspired word. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Amen. Let's take a second and once again go to the Lord asking for his help to understand and apply his word in our lives today. Father, I just want to come and ask. I want to come and pray a prayer that your word gives us to pray. Please open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first point this morning is baptized for me, verse 9. Now, I love a good baptism story. I love a good baptism story. And having the opportunity to sit in membership meetings, I've heard a few good baptism stories. And I want to share one with you really quick. I bet you didn't know that shortly after I came to faith in Christ, this was such a cool moment in my life. It was kindness of the Lord that he would do this for me. Just a, just a month or so after I came to faith in Christ, when I was 20 years old, a local church pastor that I was attending that church of, um, I came up to him and told him, hey, I'm sensing that I need to be baptized. I'd recently come to faith in Jesus, and in response to that, I want to be baptized. Though I had, been, had, had a baptism when I was eight, I want to be baptized. And his response was wonderful. Yes, let's do that. Do you want your best friend, Kirkland Smith, to be the one to baptize you? Because Kirkland was so influential in my coming to faith, he asked if he wanted my friend to do it. And I said, yes, what a neat opportunity. And so one Sunday afternoon and in front of a congregation and about 30 family and friends, one of my best friends in the world, baptized me. Now, here's another part of that story that always makes me chuckle, and I, I think it's going to make you laugh, too, just to set your mind in this story. About a year or so later, uh, Kirkland and I had another friend. We were rooming together while in college, and just sort of spontaneously, they come to this realization, hey, listen, we've come to faith in Christ as of late, and, and we haven't been baptized. And so they both come to me, and they say, well, you baptize us. Right? And we don't have our theology right. We don't have our understanding of the local church right. We don't have any of these things right. But what we do, we, well, we saddle up on our horses. Each one of us had motorcycles at that point in our life. So we saddle up on our horses and we drive about an hour into the deep part of the woods. A remote part that had no one for miles. And we go to this river and right there in the witness and the presence of all, all the trees and the birds in the sky... I baptized these brothers. Now, soon after, as the Lord does, he, he never lets me live with these funny stories. and He loves that people know these stories. I was pursuing membership at a local church for the first time in my life. I saw the need, the important need to be involved in a healthy local church. And I was pursuing membership, sitting in a membership meeting. Of course, during that interview, uh, my pastor asked me, 
have you been baptized? I said, well, yeah, certainly I have. I uh, was baptized uh, by Kirkland. Now, Kirkland had just done a membership meeting a few days before with him, and he said, he started laughing. And he said, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. Let me get this picture right. You guys ride your motorcycles out to the river, and you guys just go in a circle and just sort of baptize each other? (laughs) I'm thinking, well, you put it like that. <laughs> oh, praise God, they accepted our baptism. <laughs> well, as funny as that story is to tell, and it is for me to remember, this morning Mark's going to tell us a far better baptism story in verse 9. But to set the scene first, Mark tells us that in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, remember, in the first eight verses, Mark opens, uh, opening words introduce us to Jesus. Very first verse, he introduces us to Jesus, the Son of God. And then, maybe surprisingly, in verses 2 to 8, he introduces us to the person in the ministry of John the Baptist, the, the individual who had been prophetically promised to pave the way, to be a forerunner for Jesus Christ. And in particular, Mark tells us about John's preaching, his, his message of repentance, and his ministry of baptizing in the River Jordan, baptizing those individuals who were responding to his message of repentance. They were coming to take the sign of baptism, which was an outward sign of a spiritual cleansing. Now, coming full circle in verse 9, Mark tells us, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by by John in the Jordan. Now, knowing that backstory, a little bit about what John the Baptist and his ministry was all about, his message of repentance and his ministry of baptizing people in need of repentance, I'm hoping that in your mind there's two questions that are emerging. One is... Why is Jesus being baptized by John with that particular message? And two, why is the sinless Savior being baptized, which is a sign of repentance? Let's look at this first question. Why is Jesus being baptized by John? Now, if you're asking that question, we find ourselves in good company this morning because there was another individual who asked the very same question. And that was John the Baptist himself. John the Baptist himself is asking this question. Why am I baptizing you? And the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew records John saying in chapter 3 verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Now, the picture that I see in my mind when I read this account, and in particular Mark's account of Jesus' baptism, is that John is standing in the River Jordan on a hot Galilean day, slowly and carefully baptizing these individuals who are coming to him with a credible profession of faith. People who are coming to him with a credible profession of seeing their need to repent turn away from their sin, ready their hearts for the Messiah. 
So I picture John the Baptist in all of his attire standing in the river Jordan, slowly and carefully baptizing these individuals. individuals. But then, as he's doing this, one after another, something up ahead catches his attention. Or rather, yet, someone up ahead catches his attention. Think about this. Of all the masses of people who were coming from the surrounding areas, coming to the River Jordan to be baptized, there was one who stood out among them all. There was one who was approaching him who was the lamb who was taking away the sins of the world. One who was going to fulfill the entirety of John the Baptist's ministry. He's going to put him out of a job. And to John's bewilderment, he sees him coming. But to his bewilderment, Jesus doesn't stop at the river and say, John, you've done your ministry. You're done. I'm here. He proceeds to walk into the waters. Stands beside John and asks to be baptized. Now, you can probably hear a pin drop at this point as Jesus enters the waters. And John simply and softly says to him, Lord, I need to be baptized by you. You don't need to be baptized by me. Matthew records in the very next verse the answer to our second question. Why is the sinless Savior being baptized? Jesus responds to John as he questions, is this necessary? Should you really be baptizing? Should I, should I be baptizing you? Jesus says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Do you understand what Jesus is saying to John there? Jesus is saying that his baptism was not for himself. His baptism, his being baptized was for me. It was for you. His being baptized was for John the Baptist. His being baptized was for all of those who were there to be baptized. What we have to remember is that the purpose of Jesus' life was his death. The purpose of Jesus' life was his substitutionary death on the cross. But in order for Jesus' death to guarantee me life, he had to live a perfect life. He had to do everything required of me. He had not only to die in my place, but he had to live in my place. R.C. Sproul was talking about this very point, said, you see it necessary, right? He had to live in my place because if not, then he would have just sort of parachuted out of heaven as a 30-year-old man and gone straight to the cross. It was necessary that he not only die for me, but that he live for me. He lived his life the way that I am required to live my life, but I can't because of the presence of sin. 
because of the fallen condition we have as a result of sin. Now, this is an important thing to think about because when Jesus went to the cross, he went having fulfilled everything necessary to accomplish and purchase my salvation. He had gone to the cross having fulfilled all righteousness. As that old Mercy Me song goes, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming again, oh glorious day. So friends, I don't want to miss this opportunity as we talk about baptism to ask you about baptism. To ask you, have you been baptized as a Christian? Now baptism in the Christian life should be a moment that we look back on as a defining moment in our lives. A moment, a key moment, a significant moment, an important moment where we went public with our private faith. A moment where we say, He changed my life, and now I want to live for Him alone. Now, one of the problems with the theology of our country today, as a result of the last 60 or 70 years, um, is is that instead of seeing what historic Christianity has seen as this defining moment, we now look at, did you walk an aisle? Did you come down an aisle at some port? some point in your life. And if you did, then point to that particular moment in your life as that is a defining moment. That was the defining moment in your life when you came to faith. But friends, you can search through the pages of God's Word a hundred times over and you'll never find that in the New Testament as a defining moment that any Christian should look at as saying, that was the moment that I came to faith. You know what moment the Bible calls us to look at? As a defining moment? Because it's not to say you shouldn't have a moment. No, you should, but we have it wrong. Our theology's warped in America. But the moment that we should look at, at least biblically speaking, is the moment of baptism. The moment of baptism. You know what Christians did when they came to faith in Jesus? It doesn't talk about the day that someone wrote in the Bible on this particular day. This is the day you came down. You you prayed the sinner's prayer, so remember this. No, no, no. They say, did you get baptized? Were you baptized upon your confession of faith, upon repentance of sin and, and trust in Jesus alone? And if you did, it's a sign, an indication that I'm identifying with the Savior. So, friend, let me ask you a question. Since you've come to faith in Jesus, have you been baptized? If you haven't, I just want to encourage you to come chat with me following the service, just so we could start a conversation, perhaps leading to a moment where where you respond in obedience to the call to be baptized as a result of, of an inward reality. God has changed your heart. That leads to our second point this morning. Set apart for me. Set apart for me. Verse 10. Now, when I was a kid, I either had a fishing pole or a shotgun in my hands most of the time growing up. Much to my shame, I shot at every animal that moved in the woods. (laughs) But one animal that I was strictly forbidden to shoot by my grandmother was the dove. 
strictly forbidden to shoot a dove. My grandmother made that crystal clear to me as I would walk the edges of her farm shooting everything that moved. You cannot shoot the songbirds and you cannot shoot the doves. And in particular, you cannot shoot the doves because God used them as a sign of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I question her conviction then and I question it now. But regardless of whether she's right or wrong, I wonder where did she get that idea? Where did she get that conviction? Well, her conviction was shaped by this passage. This defining moment in Jesus' life, when as Mark says in verse 10, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. What a scene this must have been like. Now, why did the Spirit descend like a dove on Jesus in the form of a dove. Why did the Spirit do this? Well, in the Gospel of John, John records John the Baptist saying in John chapter 1, verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So when I read this, I have another question, and I hope you do too. Does this text teach that this was the moment that Jesus became the Son of God? Does this text teach that this is the moment that Jesus received the Holy Spirit? Well, if you're taking notes, get your pen and your pencil ready for this. The answer to that is no. Exclamation mark. As we stand on the banks of the River Jordan, Mark intends for us to see all three persons of the Trinity at work in the life of Jesus to accomplish our salvation. In these three verses, we hear the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Spirit. The Father wasn't baptized, the, the Spirit wasn't baptized, the Son was baptized. The Spirit didn't speak. The Father spoke a voice from heaven. The Father didn't pour out. The Spirit descended from heaven upon the Son, anointing Him for the next three years that would lead Him to the cross. Now this word anoint means to set apart. The Spirit in this moment What's happening in this moment is not that Jesus is receiving the Spirit, but that the Spirit is setting Jesus apart for the unique role that He would play in living and dying for me. We must realize that the Spirit was always in and with Jesus. Because Jesus, because the Son has existed, eternally existed, in perfect union and fellowship with both the Father and the Spirit from all eternity. There was never a moment that the Father didn't exist, that the Son didn't exist, that the Spirit 
didn't exist. All three persons of the Trinity have eternally existed throughout all eternity. But this defining moment of the Spirit's anointing in Jesus' life meant that this was the moment that he was taking his first step toward the cross. That's what's happening in Mark chapter 1, verses 10. This is the defining moment in the anointing of the Spirit, setting Jesus apart. This is the moment that Jesus takes his first step to the cross. A first step that would save my life. A first step that would save your life. So my dear Christian friend, throughout this study in the book of Mark, we're going to witness the Spirit empowering Jesus throughout the book to live for God, to share the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to perform signs and wonders. And though there is a uniqueness in the person and ministry of Jesus that we shouldn't expect to experience... We should never lose sight of the fact that the same Holy Spirit who indwelt Jesus indwells me and indwells you. As we witness Jesus, as we encounter Jesus, as we are introduced to Jesus each and every week walking the dusty roads of Jerusalem throughout all of Galilee, Watching the Spirit empower him to live for God, empower him to cast out demons, empower him to heal the sick, empower him to praise God. Let it never be lost on us at Living Hope Church of Fayetteville that the same Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus is the same Holy Spirit who indwells me and you on this day. The same Spirit who mediated the presence of the Father in Jesus' life mediates the presence of the Father in our life. The same Spirit who Jesus shared rich and satisfying fellowship with throughout all of his life lives in the Christian. Friend, I just want to encourage you, live in awe of that reality. And rely on the Spirit in daily life to live for God. Leads us to our third and final point this morning. A voice from heaven for me. Verse 11. A voice from heaven for me. Mark tells us that as Jesus comes up out from the water, and after the Spirit descends on him like a dove, A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Now there are a series of videos online that every time I watch them, they hit me in the feels. These are videos of military fathers who've been deployed for an extended amount of time, but upon returning home, surprise their children when they least expect it. Man, 
seeing these, having children of my own, seeing these, almost drives me to tears every time. These children see their fathers and they run up and they experience the warm embrace of a man that they haven't seen in, in, in such a long time. It always reminds me, isn't there something profoundly special about the loving embrace of a father? The place that feels the safest on earth. Well, as we continue to stand on the banks of the River Jordan, with our jaws on the floor, as a result of the last two moments in verses 9 and 10, now we're going to have to pull a handkerchief out of our pocket and begin to wipe our eyes as we hear the Father speaking His love for the Son from heaven. As we hear the Father speak, we should be aware that throughout all eternity, the Father has been speaking this way to the Son. We get this one moment where we hear the Father speak His love for the Son. And what we have to remember is that this message, that this love that the Father showed to the Son is the same love that the Father has been showing to the Son for all eternity. Every millisecond of eternity, the Father has been displaying, has been communicating, has been imparting this kind of love to the Son. He has been speaking His love. He's been speaking His joy. He's been speaking His approval over the Son from all eternity. And in, and in turn, the Son has been speaking this way back to the Father. Throughout all of eternity, there has existed this perfect union, this perfect fellowship, this definition of love between the Father and the Son and the Son and the Father. Listen, a day is soon coming when the Son will cry out in anguish to the Father from the cross. And a voice that He has heard every moment and every millisecond of His life, a voice of love, the voice of approval, the voice of acceptance, the voice of embrace, the, the voice of of safety, the voice of security, the voice of warmth, this voice that he has heard throughout all of eternity would not respond. In just a few short years, Jesus is going to cry out with a sound and a sentence that is so heartbreaking that it makes me wonder how the Father didn't call the whole plan off. How the Father didn't say, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I have been in perfect love. You think about a love that has no taint with sin. A love that has no eclipse of failure. A love that has no blemish of unrighteousness. A love that is in its purest form for all of eternity. A love that has existed between the Father and the Son. The Father speaking His approval, His love, His joy, singing His love over the Son. But just in a few short years, 
The son is going to cry out with a sentence and with a sound that should make us baffled, make us wonder how the father didn't call the whole thing off, didn't rip open the clouds of heaven and reach down and punish his enemies. On this breathtaking day as we stand in the Galilean sun, we overhear the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. But soon the Son will cry out to the Father from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friend, what happened? How did we get from this defining moment on the banks of the River Jordan to this eventual discouraging and despairing moment on the cross? Well, on this day, as Jesus is baptized, his mission was inaugurated. Get this. The Father's plan from all of eternity has been a plan of sending and sacrificing His Son on the cross to save me from my sin. There wasn't a moment in eternity where the Father said to the Son, listen, things didn't go according to our will. Things didn't go according to our plan, and so we're going to have to turn to a plan B. I'm going to have to send you, and you're going to have to die in order for me to purchase and accomplish the salvation of my people. That day, that conversation never happened. Before sin ever entered the world, the Father had a plan. The Father had a plan that would result in His glory and our good. A plan that would so intertwine us with the fellowship that the Father has had with the Son and had with the Spirit, that the Spirit has had with the Son and had with the Father, that would so intertwine a people with the three persons of the Trinity, the Father had a plan that He would save a people, that He would save a people to Himself, and that plan would require sending and sacrificing the Son. So, friend, I just have a question for you. Do you sense the Father's love for you this morning? Do you sense the Father's love for you today? Are you aware that the loving words that the Father spoke over the Son are the same words that He speaks over you now? We used that word mystery a few moments ago. The mystery is that the words, this is what the Father's plan was going to accomplish. The words that the Father has been singing over the Son, in you I am well pleased, in you I am well pleased, in you I am well pleased, in you I am well pleased. Use your imagination. Imagine that at every moment, every millisecond of all eternity. That message that has been, he's been singing over the Son He's now singing over the Christian. He's now singing over me. He's now singing over you. How did this happen? 
Because on the cross, there was what we call the great exchange. The great exchange. The song that the Father was singing over the Son, He now, because Jesus was dying in our place, absorbing the wrath and the judgment that we deserve to face as a result of our sin, He now is singing that song over us because Jesus is dying as a substitute, dying in our place. Jesus is drinking in our curse. And we're getting to drink in his blessing. We're getting to live in the reality of this blessing. So friends, just as when a warm embrace from an earthly father melts away any fears, insecurities, concerns, so too should this warm embrace from the heavenly father wash away all present worries, cares, and concerns that you have heavy on your mind on your mind and on your heart today. So friends, tell me about the defining moments in your life. Are your defining moments in your life God moments? Are they moments that have set you on a trajectory of living for Jesus for your entire life? Have these moments changed the course of your life from serving self to serving and living for Jesus for the rest of your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Father, thank you so much for sending the Son. Jesus, thank you for accomplishing our salvation on the cross. And Father, thank you that you have not left us as orphans, that you send the Spirit to impress these things upon our minds and on our heart. And so would you do that for us today? Would you impress those things deep into our minds and to our consciences that we would be freshly aware of the Father's love, of your love for us, Father? Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.